1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: One day of the year which was the most important day for the tabernacle, most important day for the people of Israel, most important day, and that was the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Covering, the Day of Atonement. And this is how the Lord put this once for all. He was sending a message about the once for all, Leviticus 16.34. Leviticus 16.34, when he said, this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel, for all their sins, once a year. Once a year there was an atonement. This is an everlasting statute of the Yom Kippur, and he says in Leviticus 16.34, an atonement for all their sins, once in a year, in Hebrews 10.10, Hebrews 10.10, offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know, I used to wonder about that when I was raised in the synagogue and Yom Kippur was a memorable day. Um, uh, it's kind of a miserable day if you want to know the truth of the matter is, because couldn't eat for twenty-four hours, you couldn't drink water for twenty-four hours. I remember going into the to the to the synagogue there and and the drinking fountains was covered with a plastic bag. That's how I felt. I looked at it and says, yeah, I'm suffocating on this day, and I can't drink, can't eat water, and whatever. It was very clear. We were told, you know, you hit your chest, you say, "Schlachli," you know, you, pardon me, pardon me, you think, you're think you trying to think of all your sins. And I was thinking, all oh, my sins? I can't think of all my sins. And they'd say, this is once a year. And I thought, once a year for all my sins? I need once a second. And I used to think to myself, you know, as a little kid, and I'd sit there and I'd say to myself, Okay, so all my sins are being atoned for here once a year. What happens when I sin the day after today? i got to carry that for a whole year? But it's this aspect of the once for all, because it pointed to the fact that the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood offering, was once, once a year. It was his blood. It was, and he says, I don't want you to ever forget this. He says, I'm going to make establish something. We call it communion. But he said in, in Matthew 26, 28, Matthew twenty six twenty eight when he takes the wine, the red wine, he said, this is my blood, it's symbolic of his blood. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. And it's his blood that was offered that one time that everything comes to us. As he said, it's, a, it's for the remission of sins, his blood. It's for the redemption of of our souls, Ephesians 1.7, Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's how we can be brought near to God by the blood, Ephesians 2.13, Ephesians 2.13, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh, made near by the blood of Christ. It's our washing, it's how we're cleansed from our sins, from Revelation 1.5, Revelation 1.5, from Jesus Christ who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. This is the blood message when you come into the tabernacle, you go in the door there and you see all this blood there, that's the message that comes through. But it's interesting because you say, okay, well, I need that blood sacrifice, so I'm heading right to that altar when you open the door. And when you open the door and you want to go there, there's something in your way. You can't get over there. And it's an object, and it's standing in front of you. And so as soon as you open the door here and you enter into the door of the tabernacle, there's this object that stands between you and that altar of necessity, that necessary altar of sacrifice. And this object is described in Exodus 40, verse 7. Exodus 40, verse 7 where it says, and thou shalt set the laver between the tent of congregation and the altar. The tent of congregation is where everybody lived, and you come in through the door, and right away you got this, you got this laver right in the middle. And there was a distinctive quality about this laver, this, this, this big bowl, this big sink, this big washing place, big washing pot, but there was a distinctive quality about it, and the distinctive quality was given in Exodus 38.8, Exodus 38.8 where it says he made the laver of brass and the foot of it, of brass, of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle congregation. So just like the altar, the laver is made out of brass, but embedded into the bowl of the laver, into the bowl of the sink for washing, embedded in it are what are called looking glasses of the women. When, when the Jewish women left Egypt, they borrowed many things. They borrowed a lot of things from their neighbors as they were leaving. I don't know when they told me they were going to give it back, but they says they borrowed it. But anyway, some of the things that they got, because the Egyptians really prided themselves on how well they looked, and oh, you can see it on their, their drawings and their pyramids and stuff like that were these mirrors from the Egyptians. They were called these looking, looking glasses. It wasn't like kind of like mirrors we have now. These mirrors were made out of a mixture of copper and tin, but they were, they were a mirror. They're very effective. very. And these are these what the, the, the women gave in the construct of the laver there that was embedded in the bottom of it. So when you came to this laver and you said, okay, it wasn't a case of, okay, time to wash up. Let's wash and move on. No, it wasn't that way. Because when you bent over the bowl of the laver with the looking glasses, it forced you to look at yourself. And you look at yourself and say, "Is that me?" Yeah, that's what happened. And that's the whole idea. Was they bent over to go wash yourself? And that was the time of that me. The looking glasses gave a message, and the message was: before you go to that altar, you need to take a good look at yourself, take a deep look at yourself, and see who you really are, what you are. See the sin that is driving you, or should be driving you, to the altar. See that, just along the same lines as 1 Corinthians 11.28. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, Let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. There's one book in the Bible that has the statement right off the bat in the first chapter twice, and and it's kind of remarkable. It's the book of Haggai, and the same statement is made in Haggai 1.5 and Haggai 1.7, Haggai 1.7, which is, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. That's what these looking glasses did. They cause you to, before you, kept, before you get to that altar, not so fast, before you go to that altar, go down there, watch, but look at, take a good hard look at yourself. Why? Because that altar is only for sinners. That's all. It's not for righteous people. It's almost like God putting this sign before the altar. It says, righteous people need not come because unless a person sees himself as a sinner and not just a garden variety sinner but the dirty rotten type unless a person saw himself as a dirty rotten sinner then the altar of sacrifice is not for them and the lord jesus made this clear when he said in mark 2:17 mark 2:17 when jesus heard it he saith unto them they that are whole have uh, they that are whole have no need of the physician but they that are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you can almost, almost picture that altar calling out, Sinners! Sinners! Come! Righteous, forget about it. Don't come. So the Lord made it very clear that he didn't come, and he wasn't calling the person who said about himself, I'm a pretty good person. i oh, not bad. Yeah, I'm not as bad as some, not as good as others, but you know, I'm quite happy with the way I've turned out in my life. Like the Pharisee in Luke 18.11, Luke 18.11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee, I'm not as other men are. I'm not an extortioner, unjust, adulterous, or even as this publican. And the Lord made it very clear that he came for, he's calling the person who said about himself, Lord, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Like the person in Luke 18.13, Luke 18.13 The publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if a person didn't see himself that way as a dirty, rotten sinner, then it was time for that person just to spend a little time there at the laver first. Look at himself in those looking glasses. Compare himself with the law of God, because that was the message of the the looking glasses and the laver. Once a person saw himself, oh, I am unworthy i am a dirty rotten sinner i am bad unless he saw that unless he said you know i need to wash here because it's time for me to determine to stop with the sin to repent that's what repentance is it's a determination to stop and so after a person went through that process of self-examination after he recognized that he was in need a needy person then then god says okay now you're ready for the altar and then you go to the altar, you make the sacrifice, and you enter into the next, the next chamber there. It's called the holy place. So you open up this door, and you look around and say, this place is amazing. And you look, and you see a little table, and there's some loaves of bread on the table. And you look a little bit farther, and you see an altar, a little altar, and there's some rising up, some smoke, some smell. It's an altar of incense. It's It's symbolic of prayer. You look around, you say, well, the, the, there's light in here because of this candelabra that's there. There's seven candles burning. And then as you keep on looking around, you see a person, one person, he's standing there. He's the high priest. He's elaborately dressed. He's representing another person, the only person ever called the great high priest, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews 4.14, Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. No one else has that title, great high priest. But the high priest is there, and you get very interested in the high priest, and you start looking at him, and you, you see all these things. You go, where do I start? But one of the things that catches you at eye level, and you see something very unusual about this high priest, and he's got stones on his shoulders, who wears stones on their shoulders? He's got stones on his shoulders, and you count them up. Six on the right shoulder, six on the left shoulder. He's got 12, sh- 12 stones on his shoulders. Very unusual. And you take another close look, and you say, those aren't common stones. They weren't like stones found in the bottom of the Jordan River or just in the, any old stones of the desert. Those are very uh, those are precious stones there. Very beautiful to look at. Onyx stones onyx stones onyx with the beautiful translucent quality of onyx that almost draws you into it and you want to see more of that and then you look a little closer and you say wait a second on their stones there's some engravings let me take a look all oh, those are letters those are letters what do they say and you look closer and you say well there's the one there it says it says ruben and then you look a little closer and you see oh there's levy and then there's Simeon, and then there's, there's Judah and Issachar and Naphtali and so forth. And you realize, oh, those are the names of the children of Israel engraved on those stones, as it says in, in this in Exodus 39 6. Exodus 39 6, they wrought onyx stones enclosed in ouches of gold, graven as signets are graven with the names of the children of Israel. And he put them on the shoulders. So you look at these stones and you say, beautiful stones. And you look further and say, well, uh, how are they attached? Or were they just sewn in place? No, they're not sewn in place. They're set into uh, uh, sockets of gold. Beautiful sockets of gold, precious metal. So the first thing that strikes you when you see all this is you say, precious, precious stones, precious onyx stones, precious sockets of gold. And the message comes through to you as you see that, and you see the names of the children of Israel, you say, God views man as precious. God views man as precious. That's what people are precious to God. After all, God became a man. God died to pay for the sins. John one twenty nine. John 1.29, the next day G- John seeth Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John 3.16, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the price that God pays for the redemption of man. As it says in 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter one nineteen. as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. You know, this is God saying, silver and gold, chump change for me. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This precious blood, Of the Lord Jesus Christ is used to redeem man. It shows that God views man as precious. Therefore, the names of the tribes of Israel are engraved in the stones that are on the shoulders and they're set into precious sockets of gold. Beautiful. And the question now comes say, obviously, on the shoulders you carry burdens. What's the burden? What's the burden that the high priest is carrying? More importantly, what's the burden that the great high priest is carrying? What is that burden? The burden because I forgot to pay my bills last night. No, it's not that burden. What is the burden? You go back to Isaiah 53, and it tells you what the burden is. That the high priest is carrying. That the great high priest is praying. Isaiah fifty three eleven. Isaiah fifty three eleven. He shall see the travail of his soul. He shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? And here's the burden: for he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah fifty three eleven. Isaiah fifty three eleven. What happened when God the Father saw his dear son laboring, travail of his soul? What was happening? What was happening? he was bearing their iniquities. What do people see when they think of the Lord Jesus suffering on the cross? What is he doing there on the cross? He's doing a work, a work of atonement. It's described in the next verse and also in Isaiah 53, 12. Isaiah 53, 12 when it says he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many. He bare the sin of many. It was repeated in Hebrews 9.28, Hebrews 9.28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Our sins created for him a tremendous load, a tremendous burden. It was the burden of a debt that had to be paid for. And on the cross, he takes the burden, he takes the debt, and he pays for him. And that's the message of the stones on the shoulders of the high priest in the tabernacle. And the fact that there are 12 stones, there's 12 stones. There's not like one stone, one big stone, says Israel, not, not like one stone. No, it's 12 stones. It's individual stones. It's the stone for Levi. It's the stone for Joseph. It's the stone for Benjamin. It's the stone for every single person of that family of Jacob. There, Every single tribe has its own stone. Why? Why can't you just have one stone and just say it's through? No, because there's a message that comes from every stone. And this is what God is emphasizing here. Because each person needed to have their own sins paid for at the cross. They needed to be forgiven for their own sins at the cross. We're going to have Passover, Passover celebration soon. And one of the key points that God emphasized in the Passover is that each family a lamb, no community lamb, each family a lamb, as God put it, each man make his count for a lamb. And this is being emphasized here in, in Exodus 12.4. Exodus 12.4, when every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. So this is the message of having individual stones there. It's not just one stone, but the individual stones because Christ died for your sins and your sins and my sins and your sins. Individually, our sins were laid on him as the individual stones were there on the priest's shoulders. What an astounding statement comes out of that and when, essence, the individual stones are saying, I care for you and I care for you and I care for you, and I'm 1 Peter 5, 7, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you individually. Amen. What an astounding statement. He careth for you, individual stones on the priest's shoulders. It reminds me one one evening recently, one evening before I went to sleep. I don't know why I'm so paranoid that someone's going to break in the house in the middle of the night. I don't know why. But I go around the house and I make sure every door is locked and the, and the PVC pipe is put in place so the sliding glass door can't open, you know. And so the next morning it was dark and I said, oh, I think I'll just go outside, you know, just for a little bit nice, you know, before I get dressed. And I, So I, you know, I come to the sliding glass door and and the PVC, oh, I got to get this thing out of the way. So I picked the PVC and I just put it like that, you know. So then, you know, I, I, I go outside. So, oh, what a beautiful morning, you know. And then I shut the door and all of a sudden you hear this clunk and you know how you have those moments where you think to yourself, I wonder what that means. Could it be? And so then I go and open the door, and it opens this much. And I said, well, I'm more than that much. So I don't think I'm getting through that door. I tried. I'm sitting out here. It's dark. I don't have a key. I don't have a cell phone. You know. And I'm wondering, now what? <laughs> and so what am I going to do? So I go around and I tried the doors that I had locked the night before, and one door opened. I've never done this before. I didn't engage the lock on that door the night before. Never happened to me before. So I opened the door, and I thought, oh no, I, I can't just go, I can't, I only got one thing to do now. So I sit down, and I say to God, you did that. Last night, You saw that I was foolishly gonna lock myself out in the morning, and you caused this one door to be unlocked. I tried to lock it, but you caused it to be unlocked. It's just like you said, I'll leave the light on for you. I'll keep the door unlocked for you. And why did God do that? Because of one word, he cares for you. Casting all your care upon him, he cares for you. It's the word care, And the fact that those onyx stones were there individually with those individual names on them, on the tribes of Israel, on the shoulders, shows that God cares for each one of us individually for the stupid things we do when we we lock ourselves out. I mean, there could have been one huge flat stone that said Israel, but there wasn't. So verse 6 tells us that each stone had the individual names of the children of Israel, and God did not have to do that but he took the time to make sure that each individual name for each tribe had its own stone as a message saying, I care about that you, and I care about you, and I care about you, and you all got different names just like the tribes of Israel, and I care about each one of you by name. And that's the message that comes through, and that shows us how much God knows us as individuals, and it shows about how God cares for us as individuals, not as part of a group. Oh, I know you. You're part of the Friendship with God Fellowship group. All right, you got that card. Come on in. No, not that way. He says, he doesn't say you are part of that group and that's good enough for me. No, the fact that he says, I know you, as he said to uh, Moses in Exodus 33, 17, Exodus thirty-three seventeen. the Lord said unto Moses, I'll do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast find grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. doesn't come to him and say, hey, you. He says, Moses. I know you by name, I call you by name. As the Lord said about his sheep, I call them by name, the Lord Jesus. When Israel thought that God doesn't know me, I'm just a nobody to God. God says in Isaiah 43:1, Isaiah 43:1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the water, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. When Mary Magdalene, when she thought that all hope was gone, she comes to the tomb. Easter's coming up. She came to the tomb. She came to the tomb. The Lord was crucified. And it made all the difference in the world in John 20, verse 14. John 20, verse 14, when she had thus said, she turned herself back, saw Jesus standing, knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith to her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, sir, if thou have borne him then, hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. That's all he said, her name, Mary.